Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the uh, October 12, 2022 uh, Board of Trustees uh, full board meeting. Uh, let's go to a roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. She's She's here. here. I just want to make sure. Here. Can... I'm sorry. I couldn't unmute in time. I'm here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue. Oh. Not here. Trustee Chapman. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. She just came in. Wrong. Into Zoom? Yeah. And Trustee Splendoria. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you very much. Um, Madam Clerk, is there any public comment? As a reminder to the public, uh, this Board of Trustees welcomes public comment. Uh, we consider all feedback and commentary to be a gift, especially the painful stuff, right? <laughs> um, Madam Clerk, do we have any public comment? No public comment. Oh, wow. Okay, with that, we will move uh, right into open session. As everyone knows, we often start off with the Executive Officer's Report. Um, uh, Doc, uh, Trustee Banerjee uh, uh, had the honor of uh, uh, selecting uh, the articles, and uh, she um, was very thoughtful about this month, which is currently Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm going to give it uh, to Trustee Banerjee to introduce uh, the article, which trustees was actually a video. Hopefully you got to see the video. If not, uh, there's a full transcript included. Uh, Trustee Banerjee, do you mind uh, leading us on the intro to this part? Not at all. Um, thank you, Chair Taft. Um, and again, uh, we have these month, once a year, a month observances. And what we want to kind of lift up while we are lifting it up is that this is not something we should be chatting once a year, but some th that, that should be a daily focus for us at um, AHS. And um, everything that was said in this, there were no new barriers these barriers existed before covid but what really brought was brought to the fourth was how covid exacerbated some of these uh some of the barriers and i think what really came up is that we latin latinas uh constitute um 60 million in the us um representing uh, a number of ethnicities and uh, that are uh, both, uh, as our speakers uh, pointed out, that Mexican and Puerto Rican, because of the nature, are some of the more, um, you know, uh, face, face the burden of othering and um, a different value system within of hierarchy, within our um, policies, institutions, and uh, that some of the, I think in the context of COVID, what this really brought out was that some of the most essential workforces are also some of the more dangerous ones. Um, the agriculture workers, um, the folks who are in the construction, um, meat packing, other kinds of, are, are also at the most burden of being underinsured, uninsured, undercovered, and that language cultural barriers are huge. So uh, questions for like, as we think about the social determinants of health, we also think about what are some of the structural barriers within our own system. Sometimes we don't have culturally congruent cares. I think about like how many Latino providers do we have over here? Like we do the credentialing reports 
all the time. And we see that our health system is also reflective of some of the um, inequities that we see outside just because the number of medical providers from this community are so low, underrepresented in medical schools, in other spaces, in other places of leadership. So I think some of the salient points were over there were measure, think about specific ways in which we could be looking at data and looking at ways in which uh, um, there, there's valuable insights here for physicians as well about how uh, the severe impact of COVID has brought some things to the fore, but also in so many ways that the community has come forward. So I think there are lots of new interdependencies that came up during COVID of how uh, community-based organizations were organizing, how hospitals were reaching out about vaccinations and other things for hard to reach populations. And the lesson I took from this is that let's think about some of the new ways that we stepped up during COVID and internalize it into other fields of our uh, service lines and programs as well. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Greatly then to you know, what, we're, what we've included in our strategic plan. The outer rotunda is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, we're gonna be hearing later on this evening from Dr. Tornabene and the, and the quality team on True North Metrics and how we, how we place equity in that context. Um, trustees, any other comments? Trustee Steen? Yeah, I want to say thank you so much, uh, Trustee Banerjee, for bringing this uh, video to us about equity. I think it was it was great to listen to and to watch and to hear from these people. And there were a few moments that stood out to me, but I'll share just one quote that I appreciated a lot and that I think resonated for me. Um, this Dr. Mendez said, stop relying on minorities to challenge the system mm -hmm. all the time. I think non-minorities need to start being stronger advocates because it's pretty exhausting for minorities to always sit there and challenge everything at the risk of their future careers or their academic positions. Because obviously, if their bosses and their faculty members are Caucasian non-minorities and they start to challenge things they think are unfair, even racist, they can be mistreated or penalized for that in either their grades or their opportunities or letters of recommendation. And so they're putting themselves out there all the time. Um, and I think that that's one of the, the things that we see in life, that those who are affected tend to be the people who have to speak up because if we don't, will anything change? Maybe, maybe not, but you know, I think the onus is often on people of color to, to speak up. And being an ally is one thing. Sometimes people say, don't just be my ally, be my uh, accomplice or other terms, but it really takes all of us. And equity is a, whatever the definition, they also talk about definitions of equity, whatever, however the construct is, is utilized, I think it has to be the underpinning of everything. So I appreciate that it is the outer rim of our solar system on our, on our strategic plan, but, I kind of envision it as the gravitational pull of our strategic plan, that if we are going to become an equitable institution, that it has to be really interwoven into everything we do. Yes, ma'am. Well, well, and I think we'll have more discussion on Friday. Yes, on, on Friday, uh, Trustee Banner, she will again be leading with, with Dr. Minnie Swift, one of the agenda items, which 
is in short operate how a board can operationalize equity in the organization. So I look forward to that uh, discussion on Friday Friday morning. Trustees, leaders, any other comments? Yeah. Thank yes, you. sir. It's funny that uh, Trustee Esteen picked the exact quote that I was going to call out. So thank you for reading that. I think it is dramatically and very well stated that uh, we're all in this together. And, you know, uh, people like myself that have seldom had to worry about access to health care need to be uh, part of the charge to correct the situation. Um, also, I think it's important uh, point Dr. Mendez made about making sure everybody had health insurance. I think that's just one step. It's also important that everyone has access to quality care in a timely manner, that just having a health insurance card is not going to provide that, and that that care is accessible in their community and you know, without being put on a wait list for three to six months, et cetera. Um, the points about the workforce are really well stated, and that has to begin at an early age, as Dr. Zambrana said. So um, there's a lot of very um, important points here for us to learn from. Thank you, Trustee. Mr. Jackson, sir. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. And this article, um, this video was, was powerful, of course, but I'm struck by something that um, Trustee um, Genestine just said, which is how tiring it can be to always have to be your own advocate and to try to break that 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 wind. Um, and I'm reminded of something that happened to me about six or seven years ago when I worked for Mark Fratsky. Um, and Mark approached me, and I didn't know where he was going, but he said, we at AHS have to be better about the way that we address um, minority issues and making sure that we have equity in this system. Do you know anybody who can help us with this work? And I did. There was a gentleman that I worked with at, when I worked at Kaiser previously. And so Mark took us to lunch and we had that conversation. Um, obviously things changed. Mark and I both left the organization, but I um, am reminded of that because of what um, Jen just said, having somebody who is not a minority, who is not you know, facing the same kind of barriers, proactively ask, how can I help? What can I do? It just meant the world to me. And um, many have remarked on how close Mark and I are. And I think that was probably the beginning of it because I really felt like, you know, he was an ally, he was more than an ally. He was somebody who got it and was trying to do positive work. Thank you. Thanks for that story, Mr. Jackson. Good one. Trustees, any other comments? Trustee Banerjee, as always, thank you for selecting that. That inspired some conversation. We'll hear more on, on Friday. Uh, with that, we'll close out item A and we'll go into item B. Back to you, Mr. Jackson, the CEO report, sir. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Rana is going to help me again with running my slides. So Rana, if you'll bring up my deck. I am coming to you from um, the AHA System Leader Retreat, the American Hospital Association um, Retreat. So that's why I'm not physically with you, but wouldn't miss the opportunity to, to join you virtually. And so um, away we go. Uh, next slide, please. I am using the, the pillars. Uh-oh, wow. And I'm done. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> um, 
moving into staff, I'm using the pillars of our new strategic plan. And so I'm starting with staff and physician experience. Next slide, please. Um, it is uh, important to acknowledge and honor the support that we receive from those that we serve. And so I have started a new process where at every desktop chat, I read a card or two that we've received from the public just saying thank you for the care that we at AHS provide. And I read one of these cards today, but I wanted to share both with you this evening. And I, the one that I shared earlier today was the one on the right. And I will read it to you quickly. Dear healthcare hero, your courage is our daily miracle. Thank you for your selflessness, your sacrifice and your service. You're the reason we have a fighting chance at beating COVID. Thank you for continuing to show up amidst all the trauma and the fear. Thank you for inspiring so many. Thank you for the hands that you hold when nobody else can. Thank you for taking care of our loved ones. Sincerely, the Card family. And you see the, the Card family there in the picture. And then moving to the left, um, this one I didn't get to share earlier, but I will share next week. Dear Hero, I just love how they started. Dear Hero, thank you for um, all that you do and for the patients you serve. By sacrificing your own safety and demonstrating your courage and strength, you continue to show our nation how to care for, love, and support others. Thank you for healing our hearts, bodies, and helping us manage through this. Much respect, love, and thanks, Charles. So we have hundreds of these cards, literally hundreds of these cards. And so I will continue to share them with the staff. If the trustees are amenable, I will continue to share them here as well. We're also going to be working on creating displays at each of our facilities where we can post these cards so that our staff and our, our clients, our patients, can see the cards that we've received. I think this is important. I think it's empowering, and I'm grateful. Next slide, please. Um, this is uh, rounding. And it's an update um, just um, so you know, we continue to do the rounds and it's CEO rounding, but the entire executive team is rounding. And I just think this is so important. It was interesting today on the desktop chat, I was challenged. Well, I, I was talking about the rounding and after that, I got an email from a, a woman in a department who said, you know, James, you, you came through our department, but you came with a photographer and you waved and, you know, we need more than that. And it was just kind of fascinating because on the chat, I was challenging people um, to take advantage of the opportunity to talk to me. I mean, I set up the office, I call them office hours. It's a 10 minute slot where anybody can talk to me about anything. And she basically said, you know, all you do is walk through and take pictures. And I was struck by that because yes, yeah, so a photographer was with me when I went through that department, but she missed the fact that any and everybody has the opportunity to ask for a private one-on-one -on -one time. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to clarify that for her. I thought it was important that I share that with you this evening. And I will be sharing that on the chat next week, not to call that individual out. I'm, I'm pleased with her courage in calling the question. Um, and I want people to know that they do have direct access. It's not just me walking through and having the leaders tell me everything is copacetic. I need to hear the truth and I do often hear that in the rounds, but obviously not all the staff understand that they have the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one time with me. And so um, it was um, educational. It was enlightening for me to have that feedback today. Um, my board chair says all feedback is a gift. And I was reminded of that in talking to that individual today. Next slide, please. 
Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could go back, I, I, no, I think you're right. You're in the right place. No, nope, you're in the right place. Sorry. The walks. The walks continue. This is the photo from the most recent walk. Um, we had uh, nine employees who came out and one who got there a little late. So we really had 10. But um, we give out the, the little tchotchkes that are mentioned there. And Heather won for best hat, as you can see there, just over my shoulder, that fabulous handmade hat that she was wearing. So the walks are great. Um, some of the individuals who came to this specific walk had challenges and concerns with their department. And they felt like this was the best time to be able to get a hold of me and have that conversation. And so the walks are not all fun and games. Um, and I also had the opportunity to talk to the individuals on the walk about gun violence, because this was immediately after the interview on KTBU, which I will be speaking about later. But I had the chance to really have a, a direct dialogue with these staff about um, what's happening with gun violence and what we're prepared to do. So I value these walks greatly. I encourage any and all of the trustees to join us when they can. Next slide, please. This is the part I was really waiting for. I get to introduce our new chief strategy officer, uh, one Jeanette Dong. Um, you trustees will remember Jeanette. She was formerly one of your number. She was the board trustee until last year. And Jeanette has agreed to join us as our chief strategy officer. And I'm terribly excited about it. Just a quick recap. Um, Jeanette most recently was the director of the Department of Recreation and Human Services in San Leandro. Prior to that, she was the chief of staff for super, the late supervisor Wilma Chan. And then prior to that, she was the associate vice chancellor for advancement and director of workforce and resource development for Peralta Community Colleges. Uh, Jeanette has a wealth of experiences. She is, she's a force, but she's well known in this community. And I just couldn't think of somebody who was more versatile, well-prepared to help us implement the strategic plan that you have approved. So very excited to announce Jeanette's joining our team. Next slide, please. Moving now to the operations and program updates. Next slide. I wanna talk about uh, the sustainability pillar. Next slide. And it's an opportunity to talk about what's happening with the best initiative. And so I, I certainly won't read this slide to you, but I just wanna drop you down to the, the bottom line and you can see the various work streams and you can see the low, the mid and the high benefit that we thought we could realize. Um, through each of the work streams. You can see um, in the middle of the page what's been confirmed. And so um, we've validated that we will achieve that. And right now we're at about 35.59 million. Um, and uh, the expected annualized realized is to the far right. You can see that that's um, about 50 and a half, just a little over 50 and a half million dollars by virtue of the best initiative. And so, um, the work is going very well. Obviously, there's always opportunities for improvement, but we are very pleased with how BEST has, uh, has worked and, and more to come. Next slide, please. These are just quickly a couple of snapshots to show you um, the realization schedule in all work streams. You can see that the blue line is total cumulative um, and the orange line is the realization to date. And so you can see it stops just about July because that's the last validated information and the projection to the right. Next slide, please. The realization schedule in the specific area of the rev cycle. And again, the original realization um, is the blue line below. And then the current realization is above. Um, our rev cycle is working very well. 
it's our expense side that really we have challenges in, as you heard at finance and you will hear more later this evening, but we are pleased with the way that the RevCycle has responded. Kudos to Kim Miranda and her team, and um, that work continues. Next slide, please. Uh, moving now to community connection pillar. Um, next slide. Um, wanna talk a little bit about our mobile health clinic. Um, I just have a, a few thoughts to share. The photo on the left is the clinic at work. And on the right, that's me with uh, my student interns earlier this year as we were rounding with the, uh, the mobile clinic. And recently, um, in support of our mission, um, the mobile health clinic participated in what's called the Lava May Pop-Up Care Village at Frankogawa Plaza in Oakland, helping to build healthier and thriving communities. Lava May is a nonprofit that hosts um, the pop-up care villages to provide mobile showers, hand-washing stations, haircuts, clothes, and other community services to people who are experiencing homelessness on the streets in San Francisco and obviously here in Oakland. Our mobile clinic provided um, general health assessments at the pop-up um, that can diagnose diabetes and high blood pressure, among other health risks that patients might not be aware they have. In addition, patients received information on where to get COVID-19 vaccines as well as boosters. I, I wanna quote one patient um, who said um, they'd been seen at the previous mobile clinic site location in Hayward, and they stopped by to thank specifically one of the staff of uh, Valencia. He wanted to express his gratitude for the care that she provided and shared that his visit had helped him begin turning his life around. Um, this was quoted um, from Lafayette Bickham, who is our administrative leader on the, the mobile clinic. Uh, this gentleman now has a job and is back on his feet, and which of course is very exciting to hear. The mobile clinic will continue to support Lava May events going forward, including at the next event, which is scheduled for the 19th, so a week from today at the Franco Gallo Plaza in Oakland. In addition, the mobile health clinic is gonna make regularly scheduled stops at several homeless shelters and other community-based organizations here in Alameda County. Thank you. Uh, next slide, please. Gonna take a little bit of time and talk about uh, gun violence. This slide is a still from uh, an interview that um, Dr. Tim Browder, who was the head of our trauma program, and I did down at KTVU a couple of weeks ago. And this came as a result of the school shooting that happened a few weeks ago. Um, just to share a few facts. Um, uh, next slide, please. Just a, a few facts. Highland Hospital saw about twice as many gunshot wounds in 2022 and 2021 than it did in the two previous years. Our trauma center reports that the upper trend began with the start of COVID-19 pandemic and is projected to remain high this year. The data that you're seeing represents the number of gunshot wound victims treated at, at Highland over the past four years. The data does not represent all incidents of gun violence in Alameda County, uh, though Highland Hospital does treat many of the wounded. In the late 2010s, violence in Alameda County was at a half century low. I share that because we've decreased violence in this community before, and I know that we can do it again. Uh, to that end, what are we doing? We're changing the narrative. I'm not interested in perpetuating sensationalized coverage of the latest mass shootings or dialogues that stigmatize our community. I'm engaging in meaningful discussions that lift up the strengths and resilience of our community um, during this violent time. We believe that data transparency is our job. And so we're sharing what we're seeing. 
and we heal the wounded. We take every opportunity to do, to do so, but we also want to treat the risk before they become a gunshot wound uh, victim. So a couple of things that we're involved in, our trauma navigator program, which many of you have heard about, it's a pilot program that connects patients at high risk of gun violence with preventive resources and offers social and mental health services to victims of gun violence. Um, we also work with outside agencies and community-based organizations to deliver gun violence prevention as well as intervention services. This isn't new. We have a longstanding relationship with a number of agencies, including the Department of um, Violence Prevention with, that's run by the city of Oakland, Ceasefire, Youth Alive, um, the California Youth Outreach, Building Opportunities for Self-Sufficiency, which is known as BOSS, Faith in Action, East Bay. Um, and then just to close this topic, a, a few statements. Um, <clears throat> Highland Hospital's trauma staff, they're the real heroes who show up every day to heal this community. Um, as a leader tasked with serving all in our community, it's incumbent <clears throat> upon me to sound the alarm we're seeing an increase in gun violence that I believe is truly devastating. And I'm calling on leaders in our community, myself included, to make violence prevention a top priority and to work together on solutions. We, as I said, we've decreased violence before and we can do it again. We do think this is an equity issue. Gun violence is a health inequity that disproportionately impacts low-income communities of color in Alameda County. The same areas that have the most gunshot wound related emergency department visits also have the highest rates of stroke, diabetes, and heart disease. I'm a son of Oakland. I am reaching back into my community and I'm working closely with community leaders and partners to make this better. Next slide, please. Uh, that's the data that you've seen. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, moving to our quality pillar. Next slide. I'm always happy to uplift our beloved Black Centering uh, Birth Program. And I want to just acknowledge that um, this program has won the prestigious 2022 CAPH SNI Quality Leaders Award um, for, um, and they will be recognized in the top honors category by CAPH. This award includes a $5,000 cash prize for the program, and it's going to be presented at their annual conference in December um, up in Napa. And so um, the team will be there to receive this recognition and their um, putting together a video. They've been asked to do a little video about um, the program. And so I'm very excited to, to have this opportunity to have them once again, uplifted and recognized for the amazing work they're doing. Next slide, please. And finally, our vaccination update. Um, the numbers haven't changed a lot. You can see that 96% of our active employees are fully vaccinated, leaving the 4% unvaccinated. And 97% of our employees have received boosters. In subsequent reports, I'll be reporting on how many have received the second booster because that number is not as high, but hopefully that will trend up. So I just wanna be um, transparent with the data that I'm sharing with you. Next slide, please. Did it, I made it. Here we are. Um, looking forward to comments and questions. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Trustees opening up for questions for our CEO. Um, this is Kinkini. Uh, thank you, James. Um, really great updates. A uh, couple of things um, for our gun safety. Um, I, I do watch um, the segment on uh, KTVU and um, really the, the partnerships you mentioned are great. And I just want to make sure that we are also, because sometimes we put the onus on our community and we, um, and I, even as we do on the individuals, 
we have to think about like what is the cultural, political, economic context that we are in at a place where bigotry and hate is at its most at a time when, you know, guns are so plentiful. So how might we also be thinking about not only what we are doing through our programs and our interventions, but what are we doing to address the larger issue of how violence is um, is so permitted in our um, in our culture and so ingrained in that and how it perpetuates and that so much of this can so all of the more environmental policy issues that make this possible for this to happen um, are also things that are outside sometimes of our immediate sphere of influence but I think that for us to have a stance on the advocacy front um, would be really important for us to say. And then really thrilled to hear about our beloved Black um, centering uh, work as well. As always, that's a shining example of like what it means when actually we listen to our population, our, our communities, and we design something that centers them. And I can tell you this, that it is not, even though our Black and uh, beloved Black birthing gets the accolades, but every person who comes to the labor and birthing center of Alameda Health System, no matter what color they are, are benefiting from this because some of the approaches and the ways in which we step up and see the full humanity of our patients is uh, extends to everybody else as well. Trustee Banerjee, I, I just can't thank you enough for both um, elements of your comments, starting with the, the last part, um, a rising tide does indeed lift all boats. And so although it is focused on the black community, everybody benefits by virtue of the work that they're doing. And so I just, I appreciate you lifting up that point. And in regards to gun violence, um, I wanna acknowledge Dr. Montuani, who was one of our emergency room physicians. Dr. Montuani thinks that, you know, he's driving me crazy, but he's not, he, he's pushing me because he really has challenged us to divest our, our portfolio of all manufacturers of weapons. It's not as simple as snapping a finger, but you know, because of his advocacy and his diligence, um, I do think there is a path to at least moving in that direction. We are actively working on that, but that is, um, I'd like to think that we would have done that anyway, but Dr. Montuani is just, um, he's relentless, and I'm grateful for that. And so continuing to try to find ways to use our leverage and our powers to stem the tide of violence. So thank you for your comment. Thank you. And one more, uh, Chair, if I may. Um, you know, we have a tremendous amount of expertise within our own system and our own, you know, Dr. Francis has a paper and about like, again, equity in um, the New England Journal of Medicine. So Sometimes when we think about like who the equity champions are, who have the greatest amount of expertise and coming in, we have this within our system. We have like folks who've been doing this work for a very, very, very long time, a cadre of people here and new people who are coming in too. So I think like always um, when we are looking outwards for experts, we also look inwards for all the incredible wisdom that we have with it. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any other comments on our CEO's report? 
All right, barring none, we'll close out item B. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Let's go into item C. This is our medical staff reports, another standing agenda item. This is where we engage with our medical staff leaders. I can't see in the room, Rana, are Dr. Williams, Dr. Zali, or Dr. Joshi, are they all in the room? Dr. Williams and Dr. Zali is, are, I do not see Dr. Joshi. Oh, there's Dr. Joshi. Oh, there she is, sorry. Okay. Let, uh, uh, because I see Dr. Joshi, oh, there's Dr. Joshi. Uh, there they are. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Joshi, good evening. Would you mind starting out for us? Sure, thank you everyone for having me. And um, it's always a tough act to follow Mr. Jackson, which was a really nice report. So I, I really appreciate hearing that. Um, so my report is enclosed for you all to see. Um, so I wanted to just highlight some components of it. Uh, the first one is under community, October 6th to the 12th is Physician Assistant Week. Um, we also took that opportunity to celebrate our nurse practitioners. So together we call them our advanced practice providers. So. They are a critical component of our clinical care team throughout the entire healthcare system. So we were we are glad to be able to celebrate them during this week. Um, also want to acknowledge the tragedies that have happened and that AHS, um, EBMG, now with their new name, have really mobilized to provide resources to our clinicians. So we appreciate that. Um, under quality, I want to highlight that TNK was launched September 1st. It is a medication change in how we manage our stroke patients from Alteplase to TNK. Uh, this is a significant improvement. Uh, this is in line with how other hospital systems within our community manage stroke patients. It's also easier to administer. So in a lot of ways, really great for our patients. And it's been great to work with our stroke committee and our stroke liaisons on this. Um, um, I wanna also now move to sustainability. Unfortunately, um, it's now widespread knowledge that Governor Newsom vetoed the bill that um, Bonta had worked very hard on regarding um, seismic and retrofitting for Alameda Hospital. We had worked closely with Debbie Stebbins who had been really leading the efforts um, on behalf of the hospital. So, we are now going to be looking at what we can do for next steps. And so at the Alameda board meeting that was presented earlier this week, we talked about this primarily under Dr. Deutsch's report. And so we, the MEC and I, on, you know, as the chief of staff, am looking forward to working more closely with them. Um, there had previously been a committee called the Seismic Committee that will be reframed uh, to consider uh, next steps and strategy. So as the MEC, we um, have a voice to play, but we are uh, a part of what this larger committee will be. So definitely looking forward to working in that regard. Um, some other important things were to highlight that uh, the heat wave that happened a few weeks ago really impacted our operations and we had to make some modifications that week. Um, but rather than looking at that as the negative, I think a lot of the lessons we learned from that will be able to be rolled into this upcoming strategy and looking forward to how we can really um, in, you know, create a good plan for Alameda Hospital that best serves our community. Uh, that is the extent of my report. Everything else is there for you to see, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, any questions or comments for Dr. Joshi? Looking around the room. Dr. Joshi, if you'll uh, pique my recollection, isn't there an Alameda Hospital Foundation event tomorrow on campus at Alameda Hospital, if you'll remind us about that? 
Yes, there is an event. I think it's from 3.30 to 6.30. It's going to be in the parking lot and all are welcome. And it's really meant to celebrate all of us who work at Alameda Hospital. So thank you for that reminder. And we would love to see everybody there. Of course, thank you very much. Per there's free food, so that always gets people. <laughs> there's also gift baskets as well. So. Oh, no, I didn't know about the gift baskets. Yeah. Right? Yeah, or. <laughs> oh, is that a joke? Is that a real? Oh. Oh man, I didn't know about the HR raffle for Warriors tickets. Uh, I don't know if that's related to the Alameda Hospital event, but sure. It's all about uplifting our staff, <laughs> Yeah, we're right? uplifting it. Um, thank you, Dr. Joshi. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening. Um, thank you for an opportunity to present my report. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. Um, my report is also structured by the um, pillars. So I'll start with the community pillar. Um, um, medical staff, uh, diversity, equity, um, and inclusion work group is continuing to function as an MS Jetty committee. And we're continuing our work to explore um, uh, opportunities to improve patient care and equity within AHS. Um, our next meeting um, is scheduled um, for um, later this week. So um, we've been, we'll see what the other sort of topics and priorities are going to be identified at this meeting. <clears throat> we've been also working closely with our Hedy um, and with Dr. Minnie Swift, and we've been partnering with her uh, on sort of um, brainstorming on how uh, medical staff um, and Hedy can um, work on advancing um, and uh, solving the issues of um, care inequity. Um, under the quality pillar, I um, wanted to provide an update that our um, simulation education operations uh, committee has been formed and it will provide oversight um, and monitor all simulation education programs, as well as policies and procedures of the simulation center. Um, in terms of patient and staff experience, um, Increasing tragic events sort of made us all um, take a step back and um, think about how we can better support each other as well as our providers um, uh, and residents. So it is uh, very exciting that uh, effective Monday, September the 19th, we have a new mental health benefit avail available to all AHS providers and residents. Um, and um, all of these groups of physicians and APPs now have an opportunity to have access to up to 12 counseling sessions annually, 100% covered by um, AHS. Um, we have never done anything like this before, and it's uh, amazing that we now have an opportunity to provide this type of support to um, our physicians, APPs, and residents. Department Chair Search Committee is continuing um, to search for chairs, um, uh, it sounds like we have a lot of applicants for the Department of Emergency Medicine chair, as well as we have a very strong internal applicant for the Department of Orthopedics chairmanship position. Um, Department of Radiology um, I think is still, um, the, the search committee for the chair of the Department of Radiology is still sort of strategizing their uh, recruitment plan um, to fill this position. Um, under the sustainability pillar, I put an exciting update about our endocrinology services. They are being restored. Um, we um, have had um, 
a temporary lapse in in-person endocrinology services due to um, staffing challenges uh, with the provider staffing for this service. And now we have hired a new chief of endocrinology division, Dr. Rashpal, and he has started. Um, uh, we have a group of system leaders who've been doing regular check-ins to make sure that we support this provider um, and as well as uh, support proper restoration of endocrinology services. Um, we are also looking into expanding this group um, into uh, and into adding another physician. Um, historically, we've had uh, one endocrinologist and it seems like that is not enough. So the recruitment is um, happening um, as we speak. Um, so it's very exciting that we are able to, again, provide endocrinology and diabetes services to our um, fragile patient population. That concludes my report, and I'm open to any questions. Thank you for that report, Dr. Williams. Trustees going around, any comments or questions? I would love to just make a, a brief, yeah. No, take your time. <laughs> Briefly, I'll say I'm very excited to hear about the 12 sessions of behavioral health care access for residents and physicians. I think that is extremely wonderful. I mean, we hear constantly about the need for behavioral health care <clears throat> for the general population in this country. And I think uh, we need it. So I'm one. I'm very excited that it's here. Are contractors also getting that contracted physicians, or is it just the staff, residents, and and uh, attendings? Initially, we were constructing it. Sorry, Dr. Williams, as our as our benefited physicians. But I think I mean that Dr. Williams is. Um, she has led that the entire the medical staff is also supporting the benefit. The entire medical staff, yeah. and of course, Dr. Phyllis Warren, as took, was a huge part of um, moving this forward. And so, I, I do think that we need to look at that, given that the medical staff itself is helping contribute to the benefit. What a, what a win for everybody! It is, it is. You know, with the advocacy of Dr. Phyllis Warren, of mm -hmm. course, Dr. Tony Benning. Our CFO, I know, was always involved in this kind of decision making, and our COO and our, our CEO, of course. So, wow. Uh, I mean, uh, I like to say there are a lot of things that we get to say around there. We've never done that before, right, Mr. Kraski? <laughs> and so this is a, this is one of those great things, as you said, trustees. Team. Trustees, other comments for Dr. Williams? Right. Again, congratulations for being able to do this so so much needed and um, would love to hear how the outreach is going because sometimes I think folks are out and so busy that the folks who need it most sometimes use it the least because they have less time to be able to do this. So um, especially um, making sure that in every corner and John George, uh, you know, post any provider, any place, especially if they are also out of the core and not, uh, you know, physical distance puts um, information distance also in people's minds. So like making sure that we are centering um, everybody. Thank you so much, Justin Energy. And I also wanted to echo and just uh, give a huge shout out to Dr. Achilles Warren for her tireless work in helping set up this uh, mental health benefit and for an immense support from Dr. Turner Bennett. I'm very grateful for Dr. Achilles Warren and Dr. Turner Bennett for making this happen for our physicians and providers. Absolutely. Wow. How amazing. Um, thank you for your report, Dr. Williams. Good evening, Dr. Zali. 
Hi, good evening, everyone. Uh, good to be here. Um, uh, you have my report in the in the summary. Uh, I'd like to start out with uh, with quality, uh, with the first point uh, to mention uh, that we've made uh, good progress on the ambulance patient offload times that I mentioned uh, last month. We saw an improvement uh, down to 70 uh, uh, offloads that were over 60 minutes. Uh, down from 86, it's still uh, not ideal and not where I'd like to be, but uh, a trend in the right direction. And this is partly owed to the improved staffing in the emergency department and inpatient floors, the offloads uh, to the ED waiting area, uh, as well as the um, increased beds being available on the inpatient floor so that we're not holding any patients in the ED. Uh, and thankfully, we're, we're, that trend has uh, subsided as well, and we're seeing fewer and fewer patients being boarded um, in the emergency department. Um, with uh, In that same regard, uh, the uh, third point I have on my report uh, points out that uh, uh, San Leandro uh, continues to see volumes uh, that have su sustained well above average over the summer months where we would have traditionally expected a steeper uh, a, a steeper drop and it's essentially stayed um, uh, stayed unchanged. Uh, in August, we had 2564 visits to the ED in September it was 2532. Uh, that's a negligible uh, number that number drop. However, uh, compared to last year, uh, last September, uh, that's a 8.2% increase in volume. Overall admissions as well as transfers out of uh, the emergency department have uh, remained stable uh, between seven to uh, 9% uh, with September being right in the middle at 8%. Uh, so those are uh, good positive trends. Uh, the sustainability pillar, uh, we have new leadership in the emergency department as well as in the administrative arm at San Leandro Hospital. Uh, there's ongoing uh, changes and arrival uh, and triage, and uh, we are looking at uh, policies which are uh, outdated and need to be brought up to speed with the current times, uh, as well as reviewing the staffing grid uh, to uh, better staff to demand uh, in the ED. Uh, this month, we welcomed our new VP of Patient Care Services, uh, Christopher Adams. Uh, very much looking forward to working with them. Uh, and uh, we've already had a number of uh, good meetings and uh, brainstormed uh, on, on things that we'd like to focus on in the coming months. And he'll be at our first San Leandro Leadership Committee meeting next month. Uh, in the ED, we welcome a uh, new RN manager, uh, Nancy Hurtline, uh, also very promising uh, first week uh, for her and uh, uh, looking forward to good collaboration with them. And as uh, Dr. Joshi mentioned, this week we celebrated our advanced practice providers, our PAs, uh, as well as our NPs, an indispensable part of our of our of our care team. Um, outside of that, our leadership uh, committee will be meeting uh, the first Tuesday in November, um, and I look forward to seeing you again then. Any questions? I'm happy to answer now. Thank you for your report, Dr. Osali, trustee esteem. Yeah, I'm excited to know that uh, you, you reference improved staffing, that uh, getting patients out of the ambulance in less than 60 minutes is improving. And I'm curious about how what the staffing changes look like. Is that based on yeah. registry or is that based on some permanent hires? And also, uh, did that extra unit open the, the pilot that was being 
Yes, uh, it was. So that I think you're referring to the third floor, uh, the extra beds. Those have been pretty much consistently staffed and, and the beds occupied. Those are med search uh, beds and th those have been pretty much consistently uh, occupied throughout September and definitely all of October. Um, Dr. Zali or Dr. Mr. Prasky, when did, the, when did that third floor go live? About a month to two months ago. Okay. So that's 15 beds. We've got an average daily census there of 10 uh, because we staffed it all with travelers until we get our own. Okay. But the good news is um, through the monthly operating reports that we're having now, San Leandro only has six RN positions that are open right now. So they've done a great job. That excludes the travelers we're using for the, the opening the other floor. So to Dr. Abzali's point, they are making progress. We saw over the course of the last month, the number of travelers come down by about 20, which isn't bad considering what's happening, but we still have a long ways to go. That's right. Have the FTEs been created to permanently staff the third yes. floor? <clears throat> we just yeah. don't have them in the seat yet. We just got to get them hired, and we intend to bring it up to 15. We want to keep it full. You know, it's a small unit, so the fuller from the better from a productivity perspective. And that probably goes to Ms. Miranda's <clears throat> expense variance. Uh, I'm always having to make sure Kim is okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we know. That's great. That's it kills great. it on revenue and then the expense hurts us, you know. <laughs> Today, yeah. um, Dr. Afzali, will you remind us about the staffing in the ED? Uh, that discussion happened a couple of months ago and when that went live and just remind us what that is. So the staffing in the ED was similarly challenged. Uh, the inpatient uh, didn't have the the beds available because they were short staffed, and then uh, the ED was severely backlogged and understaffed, which created some of the uh, most difficult conditions I've uh, experienced there in some time. Um, that that uh, has also improved significantly. I can't tell you how many of the that is due to due to travelers versus. Uh, new hires, but I imagine it's uh, it's a bit of both. Um, and the new uh, nursing leadership that have come in have uh, already asked for some critical data that uh, I was surprised by, and namely the data that I use for my staffing for the physicians uh, that include uh, daily arrivals and uh, bay utilization or bed utilization throughout the day, just when uh, when the highest need is and. Uh, uh, from what I understand, we're going to use that data to adjust uh, hours and uh, and staffing uh, accordingly as well. And uh, my hope is uh, a, a better uh, sort of match for the volumes that we see. Didn't we go with a second provider on swing or something like that? Uh, you are referring to the physician. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, so... Uh, we have a, a, a second shift that has been added, and we are uh, aggressively <laughs> interviewing uh, to, to fill that position. So uh, we are staffing it about two days a week, and we're trying to focus on Mondays and Tuesdays, which tend to be the busiest day. Um, I don't have any uh, sort of outcomes data to share with you, and I think it would be inconsistent uh, and unreliable at this point. Uh, but the hope is that by uh, January, we'll have uh, uh, a few more uh, SANs or per diem uh, providers who will staff the shift. And uh, it, once it's a bit more regularly staffed, we, I can give you a better report on it. 
Thank you, Dr. Rosali. I mean, it definitely feel good, feels good to see some movement on issues which I think we previously characterized as intractable. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that's some positive news. So congrats, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. One more, no, you keep going. one more follow-up question. How long has the ED been without a nurse manager? Dave, Dave had a nurse manager. Yeah, Cleve was his name, and I think he recently stepped down um, within the past two to three weeks. Gotcha. So we're recruiting. Well, the the am I new manager Nancy Hartman is there? Oh, um, yeah, I don't know if Nancy's an interim or if we actually had gotcha. hired her. I. I and not that close to that. Okay. Okay. Find out. okay. Awesome. Trustees, other questions for our med staff leaders? Thank you, uh, leaders, docs, and uh, thank you for your report and all that you do. Uh, so we'll close out item C. We'll introduce another uh, leader, uh, physician leader, Dr. Achilles Warren. Good evening, Dr. Achilles Warren. She's here to give us uh, the update for the East Bay Medical Group. Great, thank you. Um, let me share my screen. There was a written report submitted, um, and uh, I just got back from a from a two week trip internationally yesterday. So um, I have a couple of slides just to kind of highlight some updates. But I'm happy to happy to be here. Um, I think there'll be some overlaps. I'll try to keep it relatively short. There's also a, an action discussion item for us uh, a little bit later in the agenda. I did want to um, highlight Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday and just acknowledge that um, I, I really admire this very young um, water activist from the Anishinaabe tribe. And um, she says, keep going, don't look back. And if you have an idea, just do it. No one's going to wait for you to, or tell you what to do, speak up for our planet. Um, it's just kind of that youthful boldness, I think, is something that we're seeing a lot of. And I don't know if that's because of actual youth or just the spirit. And so I'm just happy that we're um, a lot more courageous um, than I've seen in recent years. And it's, it's great to see that change. Um, some of our milestones, so I just want to touch on the mental health benefit. It was a huge and swift lift, um, and I know that we've discussed it already, but I think one of the, some of the things to highlight about why this is so important is not just the responsiveness to our recent tragedies that we've had and, of course, longstanding needs um, that haven't been met for our providers, but but also just the the way in which we all came together to make this happen so quickly. Um, it was literally like a two-week turnaround and we were able to find the budget and and develop the policy and um, basically develop a very quick plan for implementation across the whole system. So just really proud of that effort. Um, and I think there's we're going to be tracking utilization pretty closely. I already am. Um, and I think there's lots of ways that we can make sure that there is actual uptake on the benefit. Um, we have some sense of how mental health benefits are utilized and corporate settings, and um, I think they're relatively underutilized, and certainly in our population, I'm expecting it to be underutilized because of all the reasons people named, including just people's busyness and stigma and just lack of access and all sorts of other things. But, you know, there's already creative ideas surfacing around how we can Im improve utilization. For example, groups um, that are department level or division level so that people come together and really process or unpack um, shared um, difficulties that they face. Um, uh, also just 
targeting um, certain times of year, making sure that there's um, opportunities to engage maybe on a drop-in basis. There's lots of things that we can do to make this creative and make it possible for folks to engage. So um, we'll give you some updates as we learn more about how um, we're providing mental health support for our providers. Um, I also wanted to highlight, um, there was an initiative that is sort of in a pilot form at this point, um, really to diversify our physician workforce, at least through East Bay Medical Group. Um, there's sort of a package of recruitment, um, uh, sort of a recruitment package that we designed um, in conjunction with several leaders, physician leaders who basically made the point that we have amazing trainees in our pipeline um, who meet um, criteria around um, under, being underrepresented in medicine, um, both on a national scale, like for the national definitions, but also sort of uh, locally that we could really reflect our, our communities um, in a much better way. And so I'm happy to say that, um, you know, we're sort of piloting this recruitment package, which includes um, giving long lead times for, um, for offers to, to first day, um, providing signing and retention bonuses, um, providing actual structured mentorship, um, providing uh, opportunities for reimbursement for professional development coursework um, or leadership coursework, um, and really just giving a pathway for people to not only come but to stay, particularly for the first five years of their career um, with us. And so we we actually had our first candidate sign for emergency medicine um, and multiple offers out for um, underrepresented folks in dermatology, primary care, and ophthalmology. So I'm really happy to see that there's uptake on this and that I think we're really going to see, see some data that shows that this is truly um, helping us, um, you know, build the workforce that, that again, reflects the communities that we serve, um, if that, you know, sort of is our universal goal. Um, I think one of the pieces to highlight here is how do we do the mentorship? Um, and if this is a, this is sort of a perpetual question in my mind in terms of how what does good mentorship look like and how do we do it for folks that are um, historically marginalized, um, both in our patient community, but also in our um, in our provider communities. And we don't necessarily want to overburden the few um, seasoned, also underrepresented folks that um, are in our physician leadership. And so how do we um, create programming that really does support those young junior attendings that, again, have maybe first generation college folks, um, maybe first doctors in their families, um, but also, you know, really need that support um, to be successful and sustain their careers with us. Um, so this is going to be a piece that um, hopefully can highlight in the next coming months. I also want to just speak to some of the very um, active AHSY collaborations that East Bay Medical Group is um, part of, leading, participating in very fully. Um, and I think one of the things that we've realized as a group is our job is not just to take care of our own physicians, but to sort of pave kind of what the, the system looks like for physicians across the board and the services that we offer, um, given that we're the, the largest employer. And so, um, initiatives like Ms. Um, Laura Jones has been putting together around the Net Promoter Score Survey. EBMG actually ran an NPS, you know, for the last two years, and we have some sense of where we're benchmarking, and we're really excited to see what that looks like across the, the whole organization. Um, Dr. Tornabene put together a primary care task force to really look at how we're um, addressing recruitment and retention challenges around primary care physicians. 
Of course, East Bay Medical Group employs a number of those physicians. So we're very involved with how we're setting compensation, parity across the board, across all the different employer models for our primary care physicians. Um, we're also looking at really just what does network adequacy look like? Um, you know, we just heard about endocrinology being sort of reinitiated and um, EBMG has sort of come up with a, a rule that we don't have single provider specialties anymore. Um, they're just not sustainable for a three hospital system. And so we're also looking at how do we not just bring one person on to be that sole representative of the specialty, but actually build out a team and enable that person to build out a team. Um, and what does that look like? And um, also partnering closely with our CHCN um, partners to figure out where, where is the demand? And we, I presented a little bit of data on that last meeting, but I think we can start to actually plan ahead, you know, two or three years out of where we want to expand our services um, once we have a good handle of, are we meeting the demand today? Um, and then finally, there's a lot of work that's being done um, in conjunction, again, with multiple um, stakeholders and partners in the system, including Mark Amy's team and Kim Randa's team around how we're actually generating data and reporting on how our physicians are performing. Um, how are we meeting the operational and quality metrics that the strategic plan is holding us accountable to, towards? And how do we just get more data driven about what we're doing? Um, and so we're setting up a new committee through EBMG that's called the Metrics and Performance Committee that's going to be led by Dr. Evan Rusoha, who actually is a PhD and um, has is basically a, a data person, um, has been you know leading on that side um, uh, throughout the system around issues like readmissions, um, and he's going to be leading that committee to start looking at data on a more regular basis once our dashboards are up. So I'm very excited to share that as well. I also wanna highlight that um, uh, discussions have begun with SEIU. Um, we are in planning meetings starting this week. Um, negotiation will start on October 20th. The bargaining committees on both sides have been determined and uh, we're just working out processes that help us continue to be responsive to urgent staffing needs. Um, for example, rate changes that may need to happen um, so that we can make sure we're filling um, staffing crisis that occur as a result of leaves or COVID or um, just, you know, departures and whatnot um, while this contract is being negotiated. So I feel very, very optimistic about this process. I feel like there's a lot of open dialogue happening and that we're all sort of moving in the same direction. Um, and I'm sort of excited to see what comes out of it. And then later in the in your agenda, there will be a, an approval item, which is that we have officially voted to change our name to Alameda Health Medical Group. I'm excited about this as well. We'll be really aligned with the rest of the organization. I think this will help us differentiate in the market um, and help us recruit um, and also just establish a brand that both patients and our community members and our providers can be really proud of. That concludes my report. So I welcome any questions. Thank you, Dr. Tillis Warren. Um, trustees, any questions for Dr. Tillis Warren? And comments or questions for trustee call? Congratulations on the new physician recruitment program. It's, I think it's really exciting. Um, I think the, uh, the diversity and the stability of the medical staff at AHS is so critical to achieving all of our long-term objectives uh, that I think this is really strategically a major step forward for the organization. So thank you. Thanks for those comments, trustee thoughts. Other trustees, questions or comments? Um, I wanted to say thank you, um, Dr. Akhileshwar, and just so many 
great updates to see. And I'm really happy to see the the pilot work that you mentioned actually finding fruition because you had mentioned it in the past. And so to hear an update on that, but also uh, just uh, an example of like what network leadership is because, you know, um, I've, I've uh, expressed sometimes concern that, uh, that as we have like one group, um, we want to make sure that we don't inadvertently create a two-tiered system of influence voice and privileges and benefits that are not meant in a way that is planned, but just other downstream effects that happen and to see in the ways this is happening because, you know, we've been concerned about primary care physicians. There's such a departure of so many that have happened and what they're so stretched in and to be able to see that happen, to see the connections between both the Highland Core, but our other hospitals, San Leandro, Alameda working. I know Dr. Joshi spoke about um, the seismic, you know, the, um, and I hope that like all of our physicians are, again, will be, and as all of our staff will be advocating for yeah, the, uh, for that as well. So it's really great to see in so many ways, this kind of integration that's happening, because sometimes when we say, um, <clears throat> Alameda Health, we want to make sure, like, is it only BMG or was it only or was it the other physician groups as well? So this is, this is, we are moving in that direction of like being, making, uh, even as we work for, uh, for one organization as you have to, but in being mindful that this is um, not other organizations have the kind of resources that they have. So this solidarity is wonderful to see. Thank you. Thank you for that comment. I think we're really at the beginning of that of that journey of how do we ensure that all physicians, clinicians kind of have access to similar support, um, benefits, um, expectations, um, data, et cetera. And so I'm hoping that EBMG slash now Alameda Health Medical Group um, can, can spearhead that, but that those changes will ripple across the system. And may need to have just more direct conversations with leaders from other employment models um, so that we can make sure that we're all on the same page. So I know that Dr. Tornabene and I have been talking pretty regularly about how do we make sure there's parity? How do we make sure that changes are spread across, um, but that there's unity amongst the medical staff as well? So I appreciate the, the feedback. Thank you for those comments, both of you. Trustees, execs, any other comments or questions for Dr. Achilles Warren? All right, barring none, we'll close out item D. Uh, thank you, Dr. Tilswan. Get some sleep. Um, item E, committee reports. Um, E1 is the current board uh, roster. I just keep this as a standing item to remind us what we do. Uh, I'll, I'll say this again. This will be my second to last time saying this. Uh, trustees uh, Blue and uh, Trustees Jensen uh, will, will be... Uh, stepping off the board effective our last meeting next month. Um, so uh, I wanna give appreciation and I'll do it again next month, but appreciation to both of their services to this organization. I think they're in the room. There's trustee Jensen. Um, so uh, yeah, well, next month it gets to be the grand hurrah, but just noting that our board composition uh, will, will, will change. Our board will have to have discussion about methodologies for reconstituting our board. Just to remind everybody, 
this board sits at the leisure of the Board of Supervisors, um, uh, but there are some things built into the bylaws, which includes the Alameda Healthcare District uh, gets an, a voting ex officio position. So they'll decide who they send to, uh, to us for representing Trustee Jensen's position. As, to the, as for Trustee Blue's position, well, I think we'll as a board have to have a, a dialogue about how we can uh, partner or support or advise the supervisors on the next uh, position. In our current um, uh, uh, iteration, I'll remind everybody that five of our nine trustees are women. Five of our nine trustees identify as people of color. So this is sort of a, an amazing board with regard to the questions of, of DEI, which we continue to have. So that's one comment. Next comment, uh, Madam Clerk, uh, just to recall, uh, this wasn't reflected on the paper, but since our last meeting, I did create an ad hoc committee. It was entitled the Ad Hoc CEO Performance Evaluation Committee. This was chaired by uh, Trustee Banerjee with great support by Trustees Esteem, Chapman and Friedman. Uh, we'll be, we'll be uh, hearing about some of their work uh, subsequently, but uh, appreciation to all four of those uh, members. Um, and that's it for uh, the current board roster. No other comments on that. Madam Clerk, if we can just update that for, for going forward. So with that, we'll go to item E2, the Audit and Compliance Committee. This is from September 21. Uh, Trustee Friedman, good evening, sir. Good evening. Thank you. Uh, we met on September 21st, and there's uh, things we do every meeting uh, going over our uh, audit and compliance plan and how we're doing on that. But uh, kind of the main event was a comprehensive look at cybersecurity, which we also do on a regular basis. A few interesting highlights. <clears throat> We've had 1.47 million vulnerabilities. Uh, and this generally is within a 90-day period. Uh, the good news is that there was only one critical incident and it was dealt with in terms of some emails that were breached. And then there were 70 other non-critical incidents and those usually come from uh, people web surfing or clicking on a malicious email. But in general, we're doing very good on cybersecurity. Uh, we're also in the process of converting a lot of old technology and old software. Believe it or not, we still have some machines running Windows 7. Um, those are almost all converted to Windows 10, and hopefully we'll be all at Windows 10 before Windows 20 comes out or whatever's down the road. Uh, also, uh, our encryption, we have uh, over a 1,000 laptops and... Uh, 441 are using McAfee, but we've been in the process of converting them over to BitLocker. And also we have about half of our workstations are not encrypted. So that's an ongoing process and we're very happy to have our new VP of uh, Compliance and Internal Audit, Marilyn Boston, who's on our screen, who is uh, showing a, a uh, great leadership so far and is working on all of these challenges and a few more I didn't even mention. So it was a good meeting. Thank you for that report, Trustee Friedman. Trustees, any questions uh, for Trustee Friedman on audit and compliance? Barring none, item E3 was the QPSC from September 28th. I'll, I'll keep this one very short. We did the standard work of approving policies and procedures 
hearing from our quality team on True North Metrics. Actually, we deferred True North Metrics at that time because they're reaccumulating. Uh, and we did uh, policies and procedures and credentialing of the med staff. We actually heard two great reports. One was, of course, from post-acute Richard Espinoza telling us about the great work they continue to do in post-acute, even weathering uh, all of the COVID crisis uh, they've done, still maintaining five stars, which is sort of a, a shining light for this organization. Uh, they've done really well. And then we heard about uh, central line associated bloodstream infections or CLABSIs from Dusty Gilliland, who's one of our VPs of patient care services. And we heard about models for how we're trying to improve uh, these risks and uh, create standard work, which we've been trying to do for quite some time, but I'm uh, optimistic that it can go that way. So that was the quality committee, a relatively uh, quick meeting that evening. Trustees, any questions on the QPSC for September 28th? All right, barring none, we'll, we'll, we'll move to the finance committee from October 6th, the good trustee box. Okay, thank you. We reviewed an article uh, about abuses in the aggressive collection effort uh, of self-play balances by the Providence healthcare system. Uh, Sherry Johnson of the finance department was at the meeting and she explained the No Surprises Act and talked about practices at AHS, which are much more in line with our expectations and values. Um, in terms of August results, uh, we had a $1.4 million uh, operating loss in August and year to date, our operating net profit is 2.1 million versus a budget of 9.2 million. So we're $7 million behind budget. And the NNV at the end of August is a negative 3.9 million. So we owe the county uh, $3.9 million. Uh, the COO reported that we've implemented five monthly operating review meetings in five major operating areas of the organization. And we're moving forward with service line development as well and hoping to establish five to six more service lines in addition to the cardiac line. And each service line will be developing their own strategic plan. Um, uh, Ms. Miranda reviewed uh, the status of our uh, performance improvement plans for FY23. And the expectation is that as of the end of the year, we'll have a $19.6 million shortfall uh, in, in those, uh, in accomplishing the savings uh, and benefits from the, those improvement plans. That's obviously going to put a dent in our budget uh, expectations. And that's one of the topics of the MOR, monthly MOR meetings, is to try to uh, find ways to either reduce that shortfall or offset it in other areas. Also, uh, our CFO gave us an update on uh, changes in FTEs over the last three years or so. Uh, we are, we've got about 400 more FTEs so far this year in FY23 than we had back in 2019. Uh, some of those are kind of hardwired. Uh, almost 200 of them are from the uh, advent of EBMG. Uh, about another 100 from COVID leads, leads and requirements. 84 from EPIC. 18 from volume increases. And we've had about 28 increases, increases in uh, FEEs among senior uh, executives, which I describe as directors and above. So um, 
the chair commented that in view of our being behind budget and with the uh, worry about uh, further budget variances coming from the shortfall and the performance improvement initiatives that the, the hope would be that we don't get too heavy in senior management uh, until we get some of that figured out. And that is my report. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll note that there's always a, at the end of the board of trustees meeting uh, in item I, there's a well-written financial report by our CFO. Um, obviously, it, uh, August didn't look as good as prior, but uh, uh, revenues look good. Our expense, we're having trouble on the expense side of the house, and the great majority of it's labor. 10 of 12 was labor. So I think that's something for us to be watchful of as we hear about moving away from registry. Well, just to make a comment on that, net revenue looks good because yeah. of our um, uh, revenue cycle improvements. Yeah. But gross revenue is a little bit above budget, but that reflects uh, le unfavorable length of stay. Yes. Very unfavorable length of stay. And, and over time. It's <laughs> not a good thing. Yeah. And the collection percentage actually is even a more impressive variance than it looks like when you consider that longer length of stay works against that collection percentage. Yeah. Madam CFO, any other comments? Uh, well said, Trustee Fox. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've, uh, we definitely have a lot more patient days, and that takes a lot more uh, nursing and a lot more supplies, and we don't necessarily get paid anything more for it. Yes, ma'am. All that being said, $7 million on the NMB? Three. Three million dollars on a hundred and fifty million line of credit. It's pretty good. Yeah. Agreed. Trustees, any other comments for uh, Trustee Fox or our CFO? Looking around. All right. Yes, sir. Finance is doing. <laughs> so, so with that, we will close out the committee reports and we'll go to the consent agenda item F. Uh, we have uh, five items, F1 through F5. Trustees, uh, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of this consent agenda item, F1 through F5, uh, do any trustees feel like there are any items that need to be removed for discussion? Sir. Short comment on the minutes of the, uh, the minutes reflect uh, my activity at the September 7th Finance Committee, but I was not at that meeting. I'm sorry. Got it. So any other comments with regard to the consent agenda? So may I entertain a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda with the provision to uh, make amendment to the, uh, to the minutes from uh, 9-14-22 to reflect the trustee Fox was not there. Yes. Uh, Madam, uh, sorry, I, uh, there, there's a motion. A second? Second. Uh, trustee Splendorio, and then uh, we'll roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Blues, not me, I believe. And Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. And Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes. And we spend $23 million just like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, we'll go to item G. Let's go to item G1. Um, this, this was what Dr. Achilles Warren uh, made reference to before. 
This is an approval of a resolution to change the name of East Bay Medical Group to Alameda Health Medical Group. I'll open this up for a motion or discussion. So, so moved. Second. Roll call, please. So Trustee Fox and Trustee Esteemed, I think. Yeah. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteemed. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. Motion passes. Congratulations, Dr. Phyllis Farr and Dr. Perez, and congratulations to the health system because that's a great move. That's a great move. So we'll close out item G1 and we'll go to item G2. Uh, this is the, the True North metric dashboard. I'm going to give this to Dr. Tornabene, who's probably going to introduce it through. I, I <laughs> so um, I'm actually sad to make this introduction tonight yeah. because this is actually Dr. Gupta's last board meeting um, that she'll be here with Alvia Health System. So, I'm going to spend, I need notes because her list of accomplishments are so long. So I'm going to put Dr. Gupta on the spot here as I read off some of her accomplishments here at Alameda Health System over the last over six years. And then I'll hand it over um, for, to Dr. Gupta to really share the journey that she helped lead us on um, in developing the TNM dashboard. So um, I want to recognize Dr. Gupta and the huge contributions. I really can't understate that word huge um, that she's made to Alameda Health System over the last over six years. Starting just with uh, clinically, Dr. Gupta is an internal medicine physician um, who is a primary care physician at Highlands Adult Medicine Clinic. Uh, in that capacity, she has also, also supervised residents in the clinic and also worked on the inpatient wards for several years. Moving now to organizationally, Dr. Gupta led the creation of an entire infrastructure around value-based care. So for Prime and Quip, she developed this infrastructure and approach that included a huge multidisciplinary team where, we brought, where she brought together business intelligence, IT, quality, project management, nursing leadership, physician leadership, and population health in order to address the Prime Medi-Cal waiver and the quality incentive program. These pro these, uh, this program accounts for $60 million annually, let alone the patient care impact that it has given the quality of care metrics in it. In the first pay-for-performance year, we achieved a target of 58 out of 60 <coughs> metrics, and we had begun that year at only achieving 38 out, out of the 60 metrics. Dr. Gupta oversees performance improvement, data analytics, in it, data analytics, project management for Prime and then Quip. Examples of some of the, the programs that uh, we've worked on um, under Dr. Gupta's leadership include data collection regarding sexual orientation and gender identity, implementation of integrated behavioral health and primary care, expansion of the chronic care team in order to leverage management of diabetes and hypertension. In addition, Dr. Gupta led a strategic initiative to start developing dashboards across the system. Moving now to COVID, Dr. Gupta was one of our original physician leaders in the in-person command center back at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. 
She led early conversion of um, office visits to telehealth visits at the beginning of the pandemic. And she was one of our key physician leaders um, in developing COVID testing at Alameda Health System, at San Leandro Hospital, Highland Hospital, and then when we had our community testing site at the Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center. Moving now to eConsults, Dr. Gupta launched eConsults within Epic, which uh, significantly improved access to specialty appointments and reduced our specialty backlog. And then Dr. Gupta was one of our core operational readiness owners for Epic Go Live back in 2019. And then last but certainly not least, Dr. Gupta has led the development of the True North Metric Dashboard. And I'll, with that, um, I will turn it over to Dr. Gupta. Wow. Come back to follow herself. <laughs> what did what did you say, Dr. Pitt? You're a tough act to follow yourself. Oh. <laughs> I know it's um a little bit hard to follow all of that. Um thank you, Dr. Tornabene, um, for those kind um words. Um Lest I begin to tear up before talking about the True North metric dashboard, I'm going to dive right into it if that's okay. I'm going to share my screen. Um, so some of you who um, have participated in uh, QPSC in previous months, this will sound um, a bit redundant. Um, there are some updates, but this is mostly um, bringing forward um, the True North metric dashboard plan that was approved by QPSC. Um, and the various other board subcommittees um, and then bringing it here to the full board for approval. Um, so just in summary, um, we convened a multidisciplinary team to evaluate the current or last year's FY22 True North metric dashboard and plan for this fiscal year. Our analysis and plus Delta exercise uh, revealed to us that we had an opportunity to improve understandability, patient-centeredness, and inclusiveness in the dashboard. We initially presented one version in May um, in order to hit the FY23 timeline, but we ended up delaying the entire dashboard in order to reflect key priorities from the strategic plan, which was released around May of this year. Um, and now we present a distilled full board True North metric dashboard, which is inclusive of all pillars for approval mm -hmm. by this board. An expanded care quality TNM dashboard was approved by the August QPSC and is in the appendix of the materials. And the sustainability pillar metrics were approved by the September Finance Committee. The HR pillar metrics have not, the experience metrics have not been approved as of yet. And we are hoping for its approval in this conversation. And then last but certainly not least, AHS has not yet identified metrics for the community connection pillar despite multiple conversations with that in mind. And the plan is for uh, Tangerine Brigham to bring metrics to the board for approval as specific initiatives and metrics, which merit inclusion on the system dashboard are identified. Um, so just moving forward to you know, our process, as I mentioned, we convened a multidisciplinary group of stakeholders. We looked at previous year's dashboard and looked at um, you know, what did we think was working well? What did we think was not working well? We developed a statement of purpose that we could then anchor on when coming up with metrics. And we refined the guiding principles from the previous fiscal year. And then we each got to participate in this exercise where we just 
we developed our dream dashboard. If we were in charge and could have our dream dashboard that represented what we think this institution should be looking at, we came up with that dream dashboard. And then we went through the process of vetting metrics with relevant stakeholders, looking at feasibility and then proposing what we've proposed for you today. For those of you who do not remember, this is our current FY22 dashboard. Um, just showing it to you um, as a quick reminder, but I won't go through it. Pluses and deltas that we looked, that we reviewed, you know, we really liked that there was a run chart on the right-hand side of the dashboard that you could see trends over time, that there was color coding to make it easy to understand red and green. People liked that it was a single page, that it was comprehensive of all of the pillars, um, and that there was a narrative process that really forced stakeholders to think about what they were doing in the various areas. Things folks did not like was ratios were really hard to understand, very hard to explain to a layperson or a staff person. Um, it was felt that post-acute and inpatient behavioral health were lost and that steep was lost um, and that equity was notably not included among a few other gaps that the, the team identified. So with all of that information, we developed a statement of purpose for the quality TNM dashboard that I'm hoping uh, will be approved as um, a statement of purpose for the overall True North metric dashboard, which is that the True North metric dashboard serves as a pulse check for AHS's board of trustees, staff, and community to evaluate how AHS is performing regarding AHS's strategic priorities in order to become the number one safety health system in the country. Trustee Bouquet, would you like me to move forward or would you like to approve things in um, each item? Um, uh, how about you just keep going forward and maybe we can do it at the end? Is that sure. acceptable, Dr. Pondaby? Yeah, that okay. sounds great. That sounds great. Um, these are the refined guiding principles that we developed for True North metric selection. Again, were approved by QPSC in May of 2022. Um, first alignment that we should align with AHS of strategic priorities. Really important addition for this year was that we really wanted metrics to be accessible to a layperson, including our staff and patients. We wanted there to be accountability. Every metric should be accountable to one or two accountable executives. We want it to be aspirational. We really want this to be about ultimately becoming the best, really striving to achieve the 90th percentile where we can. Um, while also being achievable, setting targets each year that we can achieve and see progress on. We wanted metrics to be clinically relevant and meaningful to the quality and safety of patient care. And we wanted to make sure that equity, equity was clearly included on the dashboard. We wanted to be more inclusive of all care settings. And we wanted there to be a, a, a mix of broad overarching metrics as well as specific actionable metrics that you could see improvement drive each year. I'm going to skip the quality care discussion of the um, metrics that are being eliminated and added um, and jump to the other pillars. And then I'll walk through a final quality dashboard um, as well as the, the final dashboard overall, if that's acceptable to folks since the quality dashboard was already approved. Uh, so for physician and staff experience, which replaces the uh, workforce pillar, uh, we have metrics that are in purple 
which are new metrics for this year, a metric that is in gray, which is a recommended removal from the last dashboard this year, and then a metric in white, which is a continued metric from the previous year. We're recommending that we add a metric looking at staff harm due to assault, um, given some of the incidents that have happened in the last year and the increased sort of um, awareness and concern around this topic. We've added the net promoter score that will look at both physicians and staff separately um, to really see, do the, do the folks who work here recommend this as a place to receive care and a place to work? Many of um, us who work at AHS have recently seen the survey come out. We're recommending that we remove workplace injury reduction and we're keeping turnover as an important measure of retention and the staff experience. I'll pause there on experience and see if there are any comments or questions. Trustees, any comments or questions? Well, I can't see video if anyone's raising hands. <laughs> I don't see any. Okay. Keep on going, Dr. Gupta. Moving on um, to sustainability, which replaces, which is, I think, sustainability was, um, was there previously. Um, we've moved the percent of QIP metrics on target from the care quality section to the sustainability section to reflect where it is in the strategic plan. Um, We've continued the EBITDA margin, uh, which was on our previous dashboard as an important indicator of our financial health. And we've added productivity percentage for the organization. We've removed some additional financial markers, which will undoubtedly be closely followed by our finance team, but are a little bit harder to understand for the layperson. I'll pause on sustainability. So this All is right. our. I'll go for it. Um, so this is our overall proposed FY23 True North metric dashboard, which includes four metrics from the quality care QPSE dashboard, as well as all of the measures that I discussed from experience and sustainability. Um, it does not yet include community connection um, as uh, any metrics for community connection as of yet. Um, I'll just mention the four metrics in quality care that we've decided to include in this distilled dashboard. The first is safety, the S of steep, um, which is going to look at healthcare acquired patient harms in both the hospital and post-acute settings. For timeliness, we will look at the total number of patients on a specialty backlog to reflect the strategic plan's emphasis on expansion of specialty services. For efficiency, we'll be looking at ED waiting time, which is the time in the ED from a provider's decision to admit a patient to that patient getting an inpatient bed. And for patient-centeredness, we'll look at patient likelihood to recommend AHS, another version of the net promoter score across all care settings. For equity, which is the third E of steep, we have actually added it as a column rather than a row to reflect how it is represented in the strategic plan as a circle encompassing everything. And we're recommending a two-phased approach to ensure feasibility. In the first phase, we're recommending a, at least twice a year equity analysis of each metric with stratification over time that can be discussed in the board meeting and the relevant subcommittee. And in phase two, FY24, we're recommending monthly stratification of each metric on the dashboard um, 
where it makes sense. So there are some measures where there is not a stratification that is possible, but for any measure where it is possible, we're recommending that it be done every month for all measures. I will take questions now. All right, trustees, do you mind going back to full? Uh, 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 Dr. Gupta, do you mind so we can all look at each other? Trustees, uh, going around for any questions before we potentially entertain a motion. So, so what we have is a uh, uh, our true our our single page uh, true north metric has eleven items on it, and there's a column for equity with a plan to roll in equity phase in equity measurements uh, first on uh, twice yearly and then probably on a monthly basis in 2024. Dr. Gupta, can you comment on um, uh, a vision uh, for, uh, we're missing, as you, as you commented on, we're missing community metrics. Can you comment on how we would vision, uh, how, uh, how we navigate putting, uh, creating dashboard items for a community? And, and, and I know Ms. Brigham's on the, on the call as well. Sure, and um, if, if I may pass it over to um, Ms. Brigham to, to, to start. Yeah, absolutely. So let me just say that, you know, we have had for uh, more than a year a CalAIM SDOH committee that's met uh, on a regular basis. And one of the things we did uh, when the uh, pillar, when that strategic plan was finalized is that we actually created a sub uh, committee just to specifically focus on this particular um, pillar and one of the things I think that has come up uh, in our numerous conversations around this pillar is you know what does community mean within the context of AHS uh, for community connections? We believe that you know while there are um, efforts that we're currently partnering with with the community, uh, we really want to take a broader view. Uh, and not just identify perhaps metrics that are tied to particular activities, but really think about what are we, what do we want? Um, what is the strategy to really ensure that community is embedded in what we do within the organization? So uh, our little subcommittee met earlier this week, in fact. Um, uh, what we are proposing to do is uh, to really um, have a perhaps more thorough retreat will certainly involve the chief strategy officer in the conversations along with other members of our committee uh, and our larger cal Ain committee to think through what community means, what specific processes and procedures we'd like to propose. And we do think that likely for the first year, um, it will be a planning process around um, how we further engage in the community and how we actually um, meld community into our program planning. Um, and so our goal uh, is to do that work and then bring the results of that uh, back to the full board for review and conversation and discussion. Yes, ma'am. Trustees, comments or questions? Trustees, team. Will we have any updates through the process? Oh, certainly we can provide updates uh, through the process and you can give us a sense of whether you'd like us to provide monthly updates or bi-monthly updates 
uh, to the Board of Trustees. Maybe it might make sense to provide bi-monthly updates, if that makes sense. To and maybe to the QPSC or not the full board, but I don't know what You know, it's it's the challenge of the community pillar because yeah. all the other pillars have a have have a parallel place within our committee structure. Sustainability for finance, quality for quality, patient and staff experience and physician experience for HR. But the community pillar doesn't obviously land in one of them. So I would consider maybe this one belongs at the whole board so we can all give consideration to it. Um, any comments or comments from trustees on that point? Uh, I, I, yeah, I'd say that bring it to the full board. It would be going through Hedy, and I think that also um, that if the metrics um, chair that you said will probably echoing what Ms. Brigham said is once you have the goals, uh, then the metrics will become easier to set, but right now in the strategic plan, the community pillars don't have goals. Mm -hmm. uh, so first the goal, it is like getting to shared meaning about what it means. Um, and, and once we have the goals, then the metrics will, uh, will flow from that. Um, question, um, first, Dr. Gupta, you will be so missed. It's just a tremendous, Loss for uh, HS and uh, uh, you know, good uh, you know. Congratulations on your next, uh, whichever organization you join. We'll be very very glad to have you. Very fortunate to have you. So, thank you for your service here. Um, question on the on the metric. Um, this is this ties so closely to what we discussed in the COVID in the reading that we did. So uh, the. The, I'm so glad that equity will be a pillar and not a row. I do hope that we will use this TNM to do the kind of disaggregate data because exactly what we heard in that video was that when you can say safety, healthcare, you know, harms, falls, we can see falls by who, which group is having more geographically, age-wise, race, ethnicity-wise, total number of patients on specialty backing, who are the ones who are having the biggest wait time. So all of these ED wait time again, so the disaggregation of data to see within our population, because it could be 20%, but one subgroup is showing 60%, like bearing the brunt of it. So I hope that we will have our data so that we are not waiting until 2024 to see like, as we are like building up, but there'll be a more rapid um, assessment and disaggregation and we build our capacity to be able to measure it. And one thing I'm so, so, so happy that this is now seeing the post-acute and the ambulatory too. And this might not be something that we can measure right now or go into a, a true north metric, but just something that as a system, a lot of the issues, problems happen during transitions of care, like when somebody goes from acute to like post-acute or is going from uh, specialty clinic to in I, I don't know inpatient but like the biggest sometimes challenges happen during transition of care so I don't know that we are have the capability to check what happens there when we lose patients and some of those who are hardest who have the hardest time navigating our system but I hope we'll track that in some way or the other even if it doesn't make the TNM. Trustees, any other comments or questions? 
Barring none, may I entertain a motion to approve the proposed uh, True North metric dashboard and its relevant items? I move. I think that was Banerjee than Hasim. Roll that's, call. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So Banerjee and Hasim. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. Motion passes. You got it, Dr. Gupta. Um, any other comments or questions on this item? Can I just add first, yeah. equity deep dive will be at QPSC on readmission. Yes. So hang tight. Uh, and if, for those who don't attend the quality meeting, uh, uh, the, the, this, the, the Dr. Tornabene and the quality team have put together a very nice schedule about how they will break out the equity items as this data accumulates. So that's forthcoming next year. Um, as we come to close, I guess I'll get a little personal. Uh, Neha, I remember uh, interviewing you when you when you came so long ago. And uh, I just want to say how impressed I've been with the work that you've done. How proud I am of you, and you you should you should leave knowing that you've had a, a great impact on this organization, and you're going to really be missed. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that very much, and I'm relieved that this um, the motion got passed because I'm not <laughs> sure what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm sure there's going to be a few more celebrations before you leave on in, in November. So great job, Dr. Gupta. Thank you all. Um, all right, everybody, with that, we close out item G2, and we'll go to item G3. This one has a funny title for, from Ms. Miranda. It's approved the First Amendment to the Alameda Health System and County of Alameda Agreement regarding capital designation funding and reimbursement funds. So uh, I will give uh, this item uh, to Ms. Miranda to uh, walk us through uh, this action item. Okay, so uh, we've been talking about it for uh, probably since about April. And basically what we want to do is we want to pay over to the county 90% of what we owe them for reimbursement that we get for depreciation and interest on the county-owned buildings that we are allowed to report on our cost report. So basically... Um, we have on our balance sheet uh, currently $59 million, I'm sorry, uh, I misspoke there. In the capital costs, we have $43.9 sitting on our books as a, I'm sorry, I blew it again. <laughs> One more time, third time's a charm. <laughs> That's what I get for not having my glasses on, right? So for the capital cost payable, it's 38.2 million that we have on our books. So that's our total estimate of how much we owe the county for uh, funds. In a lot of cases, we've already received for our cost-based patients. So the idea is to pay over 90% of it um, at tentative settlement. So that's at year two when we have decent information available on what we ultimately will owe. And then that money goes into a fund in which we are allowed to access for investment and, um, Good. yes. And for maintenance of county owned buildings. 
And of course, Mark Pratsky is working with the county in Gasaway to figure out how we're going to prioritize things and start spending some of this money to upgrade and invest in our county-owned facilities. So that is the amendment. And then in addition to that, the county has um, wrote that the board of supervisors approved that they would allow us to, or they would transfer the funds from the capital designation fund to Alameda Health System. So in essence, we'd be trading checks, right? And that money, uh, it was agreed to that we could access as long as we um, achieved certain criteria, including you know, regular reports to the Board of Supervisors, not exceeding the net negative balance um, and several other items. Uh, and they have not agreed that we've done that up until now. So, so basically they're going to release these funds to us, which are supposed to be used to support the electronic medical record. And Mark Fratsky, I'm sorry, Mark Amy has provided all the backup and even presented to the county uh, uh, staff folks what we've used the money for. And they said they're satisfied with that. And both of these got approved simultaneously so we can do the check swap. So this has been a long time in the making. I'm really excited about it. And I, uh, I, I support approving this motion. So we'll open it up for any discussion. Um, uh, Trustee Fox, Questions. Which of our buildings are county-owned buildings? So Fairmont, Highland, John George. John George. They're probably on the, a majority of our square footage, for sure. Right? Actually, uh, Mr. Frasky, just remind me, I, it, to, and or Ms. Miranda, to my recollection, we only have two items of, of real estate under our real estate. Leandro. Leandro. And Newark, right? And Newark. San Leandro and Newark are the only buildings really owned by the system. Who owns Alameda Hospital? Yeah. Okay, so the majority of our square footage buildings for are affected by this, right? Because yeah. the county owns most of the property that we work as uh, as and, and as Ms. Miranda said, from a balance sheet perspective, this was this was actually a little bit, wasn't it like a 1.6 million a little bit win for us? Yes. On, on the trading of the checks, we actually get a little bit of a 1.6 million. Pick up for about a month until we make the okay. next payment. Yeah. So this isn't uh, affecting our cash flow or anything like that. And, and we're obligated to do this anyways. Yeah, well, it's, it's great because we'll finally be able to start making gains on the infrastructure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, any other comments by trustees? Just in full disclosure, the, the capital designation funds, the money that is going towards EPIC, that approximates what the debt is on the Highland building that the county is paying for us. So they're actually helping to fund EPIC by, uh, by designating those funds for it. So that is great because yeah. that was the original plan yeah. when we went forward with that. So now Seven it's actually year times being, 10. yes, and it's being realized. Yeah. Is it correct to say that one of the major benefits for AHS of this amendment is that? Hello there. Hold oh. on. Let me turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> we can hear you, Tangerine. Tangerine. Is it correct to say that really another major benefit of this to AHS is that instead of having to wait seven or eight years for 
uh, the non-medical part of the all these reports to be settled so that we can settle to the last dollar with the county that we're we're settling 90% of this when Medi-Cal has finalized their review. And so instead of waiting eight years, we're waiting two years for get to get the use of a lot of this money. That is absolutely correct. In fact, right now we're still back in 2014 waiting for final right. settlement. So this allows us to access those funds for the, for the county-owned buildings yes, much sooner. Trustees, any other comments? May I entertain a motion to approve this agenda item? I would move this. Trustee Fox. Second. Uh, Trustee Esteen beat him. So, so <laughs> Trustee Esteen is second. Roll call. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Spondoria. Aye. Motion passes. Congratulations, Ms. Miranda, and congratulations, AHS. So that's good for us. All right, with that, uh, we will close out item G3, and um, we'll, we'll close with item G4. This, uh, you know, we for, for months or maybe a year, we've been talking about the culture of safety survey results, and and uh, the, 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 the staff has been working really hard to, to not only launch the survey, gather the data, and then follow up on it, we're about to hear that report this evening. Everyone knows Darshan Graywall. She's our system director of patient safety. Good evening, Darshan. Ms. Graywall, how are you? Good evening, everyone. Thank you. Um, I would like to share my screen. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to the board meeting to discuss the culture of safety. Uh, survey. I just wanted to quickly give sort of an overview of um, some of the changes that have happened in the organization over the last two to three years, um, which are working towards building a strong culture of um, high reliability plus a culture of safety. Uh, so a culture, uh, the culture actually, uh, when you talk about culture, it's actually the shared beliefs, values, and attitudes of an organization. And um, it's very embedded in uh, everything that people do. So culture is one of those things that uh, often is difficult to uh, measure. And it's also equally difficult to change. But um, based on some of the survey tools and the, the uh, methodologies that are, are available to us, we have been able to measure and see some uh, positive changes in our culture across the organization. Um, I'm just gonna just uh, elaborate a little bit on this diagram. Um, to be, a, to be a, a, a high reliability organization, you wanna promote a culture that uh, has a reporting, a reporting mechanism that you wanna promote even near misses so that you're aware of what's happening in, in, across the organization. When you have a culture that reports, people feel safe to report. They feel empowered to speak up. So that's a culture of safety. When things um, actually, uh, don't go as anticipated, you need to look at 
what was the cause of that? And you need to evaluate that in a fair and just manner. That's a just culture. And, it, and finally, you want to always look at opportunities as a learning culture. So all of these principles go hand in hand to really build a uh, culture that promotes uh, improved patient outcomes. And we are on a journey with all of those elements uh, in the patient safety program. We use a tool that is um, available to us through our beta healthcare partners. Uh, the tool that we use for our culture survey is, uh, is sponsored by Safe and Reliable. It actually has 15 domains that measure everything from engagement, wellness, burnout, teamwork, communication. So there's 15 different domains uh, that encompass a multitude of questions under each domain to actually aggregate the data uh, in a very scientific way. Um, the tool that we use is actually utilized by 20% of the healthcare systems across the nation. So they do give us benchmark data to show where we um, actually stand across the nation, um, but it is very uh, uh, evidence-based and credible uh, information based on a lot of uh, research. The the um, culture of safety process is actually a year-long process. So actually, by the time we start the work and we try to promote it in January, we're mapping to make sure that we have the right denominators mapped to the right work settings so that we get accurate data. We actually launched the data in February, and from February onward, there is work being done in the organization um, from leadership. All the leaders across the organization are either promoting or sharing um, data or actually uh, doing debriefings, creating action plans. So it's a year-long process, and by the time we finish, it again starts all over. But the beauty of that is Working on culture should be a continuous process, and it should just be embedded in the daily work that we do. Um, I wanted to share a little bit of the results that we've seen in this past year. Um, these are the nine culture domains. This year, we also opted to incorporate our engagement domains. So this was the first year we incorporated that piece of it. Um, the, uh, so we have 15 domains. Each of the domains actually has a focus of driving a culture of safety. However, some domains have a stronger influence than others. The primary drivers are teamwork and safety climate. And then the secondary drivers has to do with how the employee feels towards their direct leader. So it's very, very um, uh, strategic and scientific, but what I really wanna point out here, teamwork and safety climate are the two leading domains, but actually we have a lot of opportunity for improvement. So that's why the journey towards building a culture of safety is very critical for Alameda Health System. From the prior year, we did make some improvement. It went up. But again, our scores are pretty low. And when you look at the benchmark uh, of 20% of, of, of the organizations across the nation, 
we're only at the seventh percentile when comparatively speaking. So again, we have a lot of opportunity um, and, and, and but we are making traction. I wanna share the primary drivers, however, we've been doing this survey for four years. And I do want to share that um, we, uh, about four years ago in 2018, um, our, our percentile was at 24% positive. But we, we did dip during the pandemic and during the changes in our administration, but we are going back up. So that is reassuring. And when I spoke to the um, survey, uh, the, the people that actually have created this survey, even a 2% increase is a, a statistically significant. So I want to reassure you that we are going in the right direction. Same thing with safety climate, which is the empowerment to speak up without fear of retaliation, rejection, uh, not being hurt. It's, it's on the rebound and it's going up. But when you look at our eight facilities, we are still in the red zone when you do the correlation between teamwork and safety climate. So we've got a lot of work to do, but the promising thing is we are going in the right direction. The survey is very, um, it, it really breaks down information that we can actually even see what the, what the roles are um, in the organization that actually score the lowest and what roles actually score the highest. So as a, a leadership team, you can look at the areas that you need to focus on and the disciplines that you need to focus on to actually build the teamwork and safety climate in those areas. Okay. The next two drivers are the relationship between uh, the individuals and their leaders. Again, you will look here for in the, during the four years, we are actually working uh, in an upward trend. And again, um, <clears throat> improvement readiness is actually how much the communication between you and your leader uh, prepares you for changes within your environment and how much uh, do they solicit your input to be part of the changes that impact you. And then for local leadership is how you're supported by your local leader. So again, I do want to reassure you that we are definitely um, have taken a turn for the positive and we are working uh, in an upward trend. But you'll see that the relationship between the employees and their leaders is actually much better than when you look at teamwork and safety climate across the organization. Those rankings are half of what the relationships are at the local level. But what you need to take away from that is if people have a fairly good relationship with their immediate leader, then their immediate leader should be able to influence by improving the teamwork and safety climate within those work settings. Uh, the next, uh, the next uh, uh, one that I really wanna share and showcase here, um, I've been really impressed with our executive leadership team with the new administration. And I just really want to acknowledge them, wanna pause here and acknowledge them because um, the work that I'm really passionate about is, is really, really wholeheartedly supported by the executive leadership team. You will see here the executive leadership team in one year 
has shown an improvement in all of these green areas in all of their cultural domains. In some areas, actually double digit, which is a very, very impressive results when you talk statistically. So even the safety climate, which a year ago, the executive leadership team may not have felt safe to speak and feel empowered to speak up, they went up by 34% in that category alone. So again, a lot of work to do, but this group, which um, I, I, I do leverage them and lean on them to help lead a lot of this work and message with me because it's such important work. And as you can see, these are just a few of the many, many benefits of improving the culture across our organization that we can benefit from. Um, again, very few of many, many benefits. Um, another thing I really wanna showcase is um, our senior leaders are very invested in ensuring that each work setting create an action plan based on the survey results and the feedback that is conducted in a neutral debriefing. And when I'm taught, when I mean about neutral debriefing, it's it's a, a debriefing by um, a neutral party with no leadership of, uh, present, so that frontline staff feel psychologically safe to express concerns that they have about their work setting. And some, some things are a little bit painful for leaders to hear, but it's an opportunity for us to actually, like Dr. Bouquet says, an opportunity for us to improve because it's feedback. So um, we had 158 work settings of which we have 158 action plans to address the things that are most important to our workforce. So that is, is monumental and it's not happened. We did it last year. So that was the first year that we were tasked to do that. But this year it was even more um, broadly embraced and the action plans actually um, showcase that. Um, it has helped us uncover a lot of issues uh, that we didn't, there's no other way to recognize it, whether you do a survey, um, which is quantitative data, or you actually meet with people and have a candid conversation in a debriefing where you can get qualitative data to understand what's driving the low morale, what's driving the lack of engagement, and, and those things have surfaced. Um, again, studies have shown time and time again, over and over, if you do not share the results, you do not do anything about them, you will erode the trust um, of your frontline staff and the results will get worse and worse from years, year to year. So we're seeing an upward trend towards the right direction. It means that we are hearing what our staff are saying. Um, I don't wanna go in a lot of detail, but burnout was a big factor. And I think just coming out of the pandemic, that is not new news to any of us, but burnout again is one of the things that we talked heavily about in the debriefing. And there are a lot of adverse outcomes because of burnout that research has shown. So, you know, again, I don't wanna um, go into that unnecessarily because I know you're all very well versed on that. Um, I do want to say these are national burnout statistics, but we 
even during the pandemic and during a, a complete administration change, our burnout numbers did not go down like a lot of the organizations that Safe and Reliable actually surveyed. Um, so I, wanna, I want to really stress that, that although though they're not super high numbers, but when they don't change, that also needs to be recognized that we were able to address the needs of our workforce. And I wrote a few things that just sort of came to mind because I was here during the pandemic, that, that these things were offered to our staff, the COVID leave and you know, the executive um, walkarounds were you know, very active part of, of our environment. Even the remote and hybrid work schedules actually helped with our work-life balance scores across the organization. So I feel that our organization <laughs> sensitive to the pandemic and how it impacted our employees. Um, again, um, I don't wanna go into too much of this because you're really well-versed on, on a lot of these, but what, what in doing a lot of debriefs, um, this is a common theme that I hear uh, from frontline staff, wanting to know how they, they can be, feel bring value to the organization, have a voice, feel supported. Do I have the tools and resources that I need? And am I being recognized? Um, and I know, uh, I don't know who mentioned it in this, uh, in this meeting, but recognition is something that we're definitely looking at as an organization. And it is so important for people to um, be acknowledged and be recognized. Um, especially through these very difficult <laughs> times. Um, I'm going to actually skip this slide because it's it, it's just talking about employee needs, but I think I already shared with you um, some of those essential needs, almost like the um, Maslow's hierarchy of effectiveness and those needs that uh, an individual has. Um, last year, we launched a um, recognition around the culture of safety where we recognize 10 departments for their uh, contribution towards creating uh, really robust and meaningful action plans that focused on teamwork, safety, climate, and burnout. And I will actually um, run the data. Some of those areas actually improved their scores by almost 50% in many areas as compared to last year. So um, without embarrassing Mr. Uh, Mark Amy, <laughs> uh, some, of those, some of those departments were under his, his divisions because um, uh, Mr. Amy had one division, IS. He now has 23 divisions because he really wanted to get granular and really understand each division based on their function and try to correct the cultures within each of those work settings to ultimately make his overall department stronger. But many of the senior leaders, Kim Miranda, Lorna, many of the other leaders did exactly the same thing. They really wanted to do it that was specific to their work settings so they could actually help those environments be the best that they could be and remove the barriers that were standing in the way. Um, Mr. Amy, I hope you're going to strive to get an award again this year. <laughs> no pressure now. <laughs> I will again, say it's a huge partnership. 
Again, I just want to reiterate that um, this is a journey. Um, every single, even if it's a small accomplishment, is a big win for us. It's a big win. Culture is a difficult thing to change because it's very habitual and there's a lot of history. And But any change we can make towards making AHS better and making employees feel like this is the right place to be for the right reasons is should be our ultimate goal. So um, again, I want to uh, recognize and appreciate the leadership team for really supporting the work that patient safety leads. Um, it is very fulfilling for me. And I know that with the implementation of just culture, promoting um, a culture also of uh, reporting, even near misses and in, including enhances that we've done in our Midas system to make it easier, more efficient, more transparent, will ultimately bring us to a learning culture for continuous improvements um, uh, from here to eternity, I hope. <laughs> so um, any questions? Uh, Trustee Fox and Trustee Esteem. Um, quickly, what's the response rate to these questionnaires? Oh my gosh, we had a whopping 74% response rate across the organization, which was uh, thought of as, as, as almost in the excellent range because uh, 3,700 people responded. Because obviously the lower your response rate, that throws into question the whole validity of you know, mm -hmm. the people that are afraid of the cultural ramifications are the ones that don't respond and yeah. that excuse your day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Trustee Esteem. Yeah. There was something that you said right in the very beginning uh, that you would like to see that because this is a report that takes 12 months to really get into, there's right. a lot of work that goes into it, and then you start all over again. And the, what you said rang in my ear very loudly. You said, we need to be working on the culture of safety every single day. Mm -hmm. And I heard in my mind, we need to be working on equity every single day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, imagine the amount of work that goes into this culture of safety. And if it was coupled with the equity initiatives, how deep that would go. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 what an impact it could potentially have. And I started wondering about the demographics of the report, the, the each reporter and whether or not that's even collected as a part of the safety survey. Actually, it and is, uh, it, it is uh, collected and we can definitely uh, correlate that data. Um, yes. and, and so maybe in the upcoming year, we could definitely talk a little bit more offline and, and we can show you those options and actually integrate it into our survey. I mean, I think it's kind of low hanging fruit on the equity piece to have that as part of the report. There was one slide that actually stood out to me quite greatly. And I noticed that the, the positions with strengths box and the positions with opportunity box, um, the job titles, there's two things that stood out. One is uh, the position with strengths were primarily Mark Amy's report. It was like quality analytics, IS, which I think is fantastic, administrators, and pharmacists. 
people who don't necessarily have direct patient contact, so that burnout factor matters, but also the positions with opportunity. And, and let me say one other thing, white collar job. The other part, positions with opportunity, mental health worker, nurse, dental assistant, clinical support, like medical assistant, EMT, technologist, blue collar jobs. Demographically, we know that those kinds of job classifications tend to be stratified according to race and income. So I think that when I say equity low-hanging fruit, I don't have the statistics, but I can kind of guess. I think we can all kind of guess what the trend line looks like. And so as we think about our culture of safety and our equity work and what's a daily focus of our investment of time, what we do every day and year after year and what we put so many resources into, we can combine these efforts. So just noticing that. Yeah. Great, thank you so much for your feedback. Yeah, yeah. Trustee, uh, Trustee Banerjee. And then yeah. I, I, I don't know if I saw someone else. Thank you, Trustee Estine. Um, absolutely took the words out of my mouth. Um, Darshan, I wanted to say thank you so much for this because I, you know, this culture of safety, all of our improvements, you've been doggedly at it for so long and the entire team, um, Anna, everybody, like this is, culture needs it to be, it has to be an everyday thing. And I do feel that um, it's been 20 years since the report to Air is Human came out. Yeah. And do you remember, for those of us who were practicing 20 years ago, people said, oh, my God, safety? Like, how? How can we, like, make that central? No way. I mean, I'm a great clinician, but I mean, yeah, I didn't know that many people died or this happened. And there was so much pushback against safety. So when we see the pushback against equity, and we say, oh gosh, let's be reliable, let's be, but like this much disaggregation and digging into it is too hard for us. Two years later, four years later, we'll get to it. We know that if we brought that same level, what we do for ROC, like if we just got things together and said, when we have an event, who is getting hurt? Where does it benefit? Where is the burden falling? Which population group is doing that? If we drill into this, we could do this today. And so I think that it is history. So this is just amazing. And I love the transparency that you are able to show us that this is, you know, from 2018, like we were like, you know, that we dipped. We are coming back again to that. So that's really hard useful to know because this organization is 157 years old. Mm -hmm. We have a legacy, we have a space. And sometimes, you know, we have dips and lows and ups and downs. And the narrative that we have to say is that like, oh, uh, you know, everything is bad before, everything is good. No, there have been people here who've been working very hard and very much and like we can see what was good in 2018 we can see what was working we know we have a brand new elt so the scores are what it is because like many of them are coming in for the first time we don't have to track 
with like data from the 20, from 2018 or 2019 or excepting mm -hmm. for two or three, everybody else is new. So this is just such a lovely way to get a benchmark and to hold ourselves and our feet to the fire to see like how we are doing um, in the coming years, but incredible amounts of work. And as you said, it's the reflection and the processing of the data and the coaching that you've all have been doing, which is so key because collecting the data is one thing, then what do you do with it? And the action plans, uh, so thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Jensen. You're on mute. Darshan, that was a great report. And having seen so many of these um, mm -hmm. reports over the past eight years, it's really it's really tremendous to see the direction that the organization is going. Absolutely, we uh, we are moving toward being a culture of safety. And also, you know, it occurs to me as I think about this that we we've um, for for even before I came on, we've always been responsive and been thoughtful about root cause analysis of of events, and that's great. But it just it, it with the culture of safety, it makes me it makes me more comfortable. It makes me believe that as people, you can do a root cause analysis, but if people aren't comfortable in sharing information or they're not feeling that their information is gonna be valued or evaluated or um, confirmed, then that root cause analysis could be less valid in my opinion. So I, I just think that these things go together and our quality is, is, is number one and it's, it's really improved under your leadership along with um, unfortunately, our departing leaders and, and with the new executive leadership team. So thank you very much. This is a really, really good report and good to see. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. A question. Yes, sir. Is it possible to compare like departments in different organizations? Because I would imagine that there are some environments, and I can just guess the ICU for one, that are that's a lot more stressful in every organization and you're just going to have maybe lower scores, especially during COVID, but maybe any time when you're worried about all the things that ICU nurses and other people who work in the ICU have to worry about versus other departments, which maybe they're more administrative. Uh, I don't even hesitate to name one, uh, but you know, maybe if you look across the board at 10 different hospitals, you find the scores are better at all of them than the ICU at any of them. And I don't know if, if that would make it easier to compare how we're doing if we compared like departments across other hospitals. Ms. Greywald, do you know if, if uh, they uh, allow breakout by unit type or is it just by health system? Um, I, I would have to ask because I think yeah. it's a, uh, protected information, but we can we can compare Highlands ICU to San Leandro's. Like I can cross section anything within our organization. I have the ability to do that. Our, our ED cultures or, you know, that that is very doable. Um, I, I don't, they just give you the overall benchmark, but they don't really publish, um, uh, they don't publicly post anybody's internal data. Well, I mean, it could be blinded. Yeah, yeah, right. We're just looking uh, for comparators. Right. Yeah, yeah. With, with, and we don't care who they are. 
Well, I mean, we sort of do. But I, mean, I will definitely ask. I will definitely ask because I would want it to be a safety net organization um, because they they those that twenty percent encompasses like magnet, you know, county, say like everything that you can imagine um, is in that uh, sample size. So, Trustees, any other further comments? Ms. Graywall, thank you for that presentation. I know this is this is uh, important work. And as I say, if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it. I guess the ultimate question is, is a once a year survey enough as, as we respond to the data, you know, um, uh, you know, getting real time data. Uh, we, we, I think we need to find better ways to get more real time data. Um, but thank you for this work. To, I guess, Darshan, does, does this organization provide pulse surveys? Uh, so a pulse survey might be something a quarterly. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I'm not sure, Mark, I can, I can inquire. I think, uh, I think just from a um, logistics uh, perspective, I would just need to be able to, um, because it is, a, is, it is a lot of work, but to be able to get everybody committed that within 30 days, you get your data, you're gonna get an action plan, but there's a but lot of shepherding that happens across the organization. We would need to get commitment that people can shorten that timeline. Um, Darshan, we can talk more, but this would yeah. be just a two or three questions that were of importance to us, yeah. where we could see if the action plans were actually having any impact. We wouldn't I have see. to develop a whole new action plan. Well, yeah, I agree. How does that relate to the TPS that we heard about earlier? TPS was the acronym, right? Uh, not score. Oh, yeah, yeah, So a net promoter score might be, you know, you know, people are feeling good. Bonuses were just given out. You know, you know, you could follow those things. So uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know the frequency on net promoter score, but that that's that's actually a, maybe a great surrogate marker because the the way net promoter score was proposed was there's two, one for uh, providers and one one for general staff. Okay. Right, and that's going to show up on our dashboard. On our main dashboard. Exactly. So yeah. as we figure out, you know, questions to keep asking. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Lorna, where's Lorna? So um, I just wanted to make sure that you all knew that we do have pulse surveys. In fact, the net promoter score is being run as a pulse survey. Um, so we do have the ability to, to do that. Oh, well, there you go. So we have um, an internal mechanism, yeah. Okay, cool. Council, did you have something to say? No, that Lorna was, okay, got it, okay. Mr. Ames. I just want to, and it wasn't because Darshan uh, mentioned me, but I do want to mention her and her partnership. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know Darshan two years ago when we started working on this, and she has been incredibly um, uh, giving of her time and helping, I think, everybody in the, uh, in the executive suite. But uh, I know that I personally created a lot more work for her, for her splitting <laughs> my department, and she's really leaned into that personally led some of our debriefs for us and just been a, a exceptional partner in addition to presenting the material. Yes, I'll, I'll support you, Mr. Amy. She's passionate about this work. And trustees, we're going to be seeing Ms. Graywall again on Friday morning because she's going to help moderate our personality service. <laughs> so, so, so with that... No pressure. No pressure, no right? Uh, we'll close out item G4. And the last open session item is this discussion about board calendar and tracking. I'll keep it super simple. We have our, our board retreat um, this Friday. 
It should open around 9.30. Our clerk of the board has secured a, a continental breakfast, so try to get here before 9.30. For those of you who can appear in person, it will be in this room, room B and E. We'll start off with 9.30, uh, a brief introduction. We'll work uh, agenda, first agenda item is kind of team dynamics, our personality profiles, how we work together. There's some really compelling and interesting data which is gonna come out. Then we're gonna hear uh, from uh, Trustee Banerjee and, and Dr. Swift on uh, basically operationalizing, how boards can operationalize equity. Then there'll be a lunch in here. The uh, foundation board, will, many members of the foundation board will be here as well. So we'll have lunch with our execs, foundation board and ourselves, there'll be lunch. In the afternoon, if we can execute it, we're gonna, we're gonna review some of the uh, elements of the Huron presentation on the renaissance of a health system uh, at which Mr. Frasky, Mr. Jackson, and myself gave it. So we'll be just giving some of that, not just watching a video together, then you know, uh, discussing about it. And then we'll uh, end the day with Mr. Frasky and uh, Mr. Jackson walking us through some best transformation concepts. And we, we hope include, there will be a closed session. We hope to be out, I'm projecting to be out by 4.15, 4.30 uh, on, on, on Friday. So uh, that's our work. Trustee Banerjee has sent some very important work. Everyone has homework to read the equity stuff. It's in your inbox. There's some videos. There's a couple of articles. It's, it, it's probably about 20 to 25 minutes of your time. It would really help move the dialogue for, uh, for Trustee Banerjee's item. So try to do that homework, trustees. Um, with that, any other comments on uh, board calendar or tracking? All right, audience, uh, we have now concluded the open session agenda items, and we're going to be moving into closed session. Uh, council, purpose? Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The board will now go into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Thank you.